the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Van the Boogie Woogie Man. Tell my people and my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We're ready to go or what? Uh, Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of Almost running out of different ideas here of how to pin the man. Into the top rope, other side, Alex over the top. Disco. Oh! Both men try to cross body. Disco gets the cover, and the disco wins in. The disco inferno is the TV champ. The disco inferno. It's I can't believe it. He caught him off guard, knocked the wind. Looks like Disco hurt his arm. But he'll feel better when he wakes up home that gold. This is unbelievable. Well, the cliche on any given night or any given day used to be applied to the National Football League. But now we're talking about World Championship this Wrestling. This is the That's two-man power trip of wrestling. Brought to you today empowered by our good old friends over at Eat Your Coffee. Stay tuned a little bit later on in the show and find out how you can energize the moment with each and every bite of an Eat Your Coffee bar and be sure to head on over to eatyour.coffee right now and save by using the promo code POWERTRIP at checkout as you can experience the Eat Your Coffee revolution with each and every single bite of an Eat Your Coffee bar. And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only JP John Paz. And John, today on the show, we are welcoming in a guy who, if there was anyone on this planet Earth of pro wrestling, lines up perfectly with the way we think about today's wrestling. It's this man, the legendary Disco Inferno, Glenn Gilberti, joining the program in an episode that you conducted while I was in the happiest place on Earth, 
but that's okay. I am going to be sitting on the edge of my seat listening to you and the Disco Inferno cut a rug talking about all things professional wrestling, talking about WCW, but also talking about PPW's Super Show 2 coming to you April 27th in Hazleton, PA, featuring the Disco Inferno getting in the ring here in the Pennsylvania area for the first time in a long time and uh, doing it in a very big way. But Glenn Gilberti, like we said here, I really can't pick anybody else in the world of professional wrestling that that kind of thinks in the same way that we do now. We don't always get to talk about how we feel about the current product or the current landscape of professional wrestling. But if you've ever heard Glenn Gilberti on Keeping It 100, if you've ever heard him on The Brand with Vince Russo, and he talks about today's current product, this guy literally could be speaking uh, through our mouths. He could be giving his thoughts through us. It's that kind of synced up. But, John, get in here now and kind of talk about this. It's uh, something I'm looking forward to listening to myself. But talk about what Glenn Gilberti has to say and uh, talk about this super show for PPW that he's going to be appearing at on April 27th. Yeah, it's going to be a good one coming up, uh, like you said, April 27th. PPW, you can go to PPWWrestling.com and check out the Super Show 2, as well as the seminar, which will be held earlier in the day. And I feel like that is very, very interesting if you want to take part in the seminar with Disco, because this man has so much experience in the wrestling business, you may not even realize it. I mean, he's been in the business for over 25 years. Think about that longevity. Think about him spending that much time in WCW as far as being in WCW for seven straight years. Not a lot of guys can say that. I mean, it's a pretty good accomplishment. And it's pretty amazing you know, to be able to last that long in a major wrestling company, especially when he joined up with WCW. They were the number one wrestling company in all the world. But kind of going back to PPW just for one second, just want to remind everybody that it is at the Holy Family Academy, 601 North Laurel Street in Hazleton, PA. Great venue. And it's one of those things where Disco and WCW didn't make too many appearances in the Northeast. There was, you know, kind of here and there in between and, and not so much up in the Northeast area. So it will be a rare occurrence to see him in Hazleton. If you do head out to PPW and I really, really strongly encourage that you do, but Chad, you know, you mentioned us not really talking too much about current wrestling, which we basically never, ever do. But with disco, it just kind of where the conversation kind of always kind of led to, or a lot of the times definitely led to some current wrestling talk. And he really does align with a lot of what we say, obviously not really on the air when we're talking privately, we always say, Oh, what about this? What about that? Psychology is missing, or this is missing. That's missing from today's wrestling or, or there's no charisma. There's no larger than life characters. A lot of those things that we said and we discussed were a lot of the things that disco was saying. And we were definitely aligning a lot of the points for sure. Another thing that he kept saying was character character driven where's the guy's character going and i feel like those things are so important in wrestling and especially our era and i mean like the the hogan's of the world the flyers of the world the stings piper warrior savage the nature boy i mean all these guys had characters and they were character driven and we talk about that with disco about why the wrestling today or where where these guys are coming from and they're not really character driven anymore and you can't really put your finger on what the character is and we didn't really talk about this specifically but i'll just throw this out there like seth rollins he's the architect he's the beast slayer he's a king slayer doesn't really honestly jive and doesn't really go in there's not a lot of character there to be honest he's very plain jane 
promos are awful. Um, there's no life to the character. There's no, you know, real essence to it. And I feel like that's what's missing in today's wrestling. I, I don't know if that's on purpose or not. If if you really look into some of the wrestlers that no longer with WWE, they kind of reveal some things behind the scenes that they don't really want characters to get over like they used to. They don't really want larger-than-life characters anymore. So I don't know if it's that these guys, and, and not to say Seth Rollins in particular, because I think he has the the it qualities. He, did, he hasn't shown that he has it, but he has those qualities there for sure. And I feel like with you know, the current wrestling, the way it is, could it possibly be maybe that WWE doesn't want these guys to be large in life, doesn't want them to get over, they don't want them to be headaches, they don't want them to, you know, make more money, because the Hogan's and, and the Savages of the world obviously were large in life, they almost became bigger than the WWF itself. Yeah, oh my god, and that was the guys that uh, when Disco got into WCW, they were still on top, and they were on top for a reason, but you know, you talk about what he has to say about the current product, I mean, he makes so many great points, whether it's about the story-driven uh, aspect of it, or like you said, the characters, or he's been very outspoken about the, quote, women's evolution, revolution, and working his way back into Impact as pretty much, I would say, the top heel in the business, and really making a name for himself to a new audience with what he's doing in Impact. I mean, he's had such a uh, such a comedic role on the shows that have taken place in Vegas, uh, but now he's also being brought back for other shows uh, in other parts of uh, where they're t- they're doing their TV tapings. But just the sheer fact he knows how to get heat is so cool, and it's refreshing to see. And it takes somebody who did compete in the Nitro slash Attitude Era to be able to translate that now into 2019. So when you guys are talking about that stuff, I mean, does he reflect back a lot on how those glory days were slow- so influential? And does he feel like... You know, they really should be taking a page out of that book, or does he just feel like they're just not doing what they can be with what they've got presented to them without channeling the past? Well, it's, it's kind of a little bit uh, a little bit of both. It's almost like if we, if we really go in-depth into it, that the guys from our generation, so to speak, kind of grew up with those larger-than-life characters as far as them being able to cut a promo and then be able to bring you into the building with their mouth and then kind of cover themselves in the ring and, and have the good matches and keep you wanting to watch and keep you coming and have those good storylines. But the guys today, he was thinking that maybe they grew up in the generation after where there wasn't the, the great talker, so to speak, or that maybe they fell in love with the workers or the work rate. And that's all that they care about. And that's all that they focus on. So they're not character driven. They're not storyline driven. They're not really focused on promoting themselves so much as just having a good match and wanted to have a good match and, you know, wanted to get that star rating, so to speak, and really want that influence uh, on the, you know, the, the smaller fan base, the internet fans and those people that just like the in ring. So, you know, we do get into that pretty in depth and that is such something that is so intriguing and, and so interesting because, Let's just say who we do talk about a few times in the interview. Let's just say Honky Talk Man, for instance. Oh, he didn't have the great work rate. He didn't have this and that. What he did have was a great character that he believed in and that you believed what he was saying. He drew you in and you wanted to pay to see him get his ass kicked. I mean, it's it's simple booking and it's simple heel work and it's simple character-driven stuff. But the guys today either don't care about it aren't able to execute it and i think it is a combination possibly the writing and the wrestlers itself but i mean ultimately i feel like if you're really that good of a wrestler you have to have the whole package you just have to be a complete guy 
guy. You have to have a strong character. You have to be able to show the evolution, so to speak, uh, of, of kind of making yourself into something bigger than you really are and something more important than you really are. So I feel like, let's just say, you know, Ultimate Warrior, this guy was larger than life. Who is like that today? Just Can you think of anybody? He's, let's just throw out Braun Strowman. Nope, not a chance. I mean, there's not a lot of charisma there. The character stinks. The writing stinks. I mean, it's just one of those things where you just throw everything together and it's just not working. And, and Disco makes so many good points in this interview just about you know a myriad of different topics. And I always think it's funny when people think of him like, oh, oh um, Oh, you know, all the wrestlers are ripping disco and, 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 oh, he doesn't get how to create the character. No, you're kind of all falling for it. The wrestlers are in on it. Disco's in on it. His character is what is kind of, you guys aren't really getting. That's the character. He's the heel. He's the guy that you, you know, you love to hate. You hate to love, you know, that kind of thing. It's just perfect. And, and just listen to the interview. He's just the psychology that he has and the philosophy that he has on wrestling. is just, uh, it's unbelievable. And then what he talks about as far as pro wrestling versus sports entertainment, I think you're really, really going to want to listen to that very intriguing and very great points that he makes on that as well. And I think people really like to hang on those kind of crazy creative ideas that he had, you know, coming up with the, uh, you know, the funny things, the buildings of the world, you know, these things that people from this, fan base today take those and go oh well he's just a comedy act and he's not serious and he's this he's that this guy probably has the best mind for the business of anybody outside of our co-hosts that we deal with on a weekly basis and pick his brain in the franchise uh where the franchise you know i'm telling you if if you put franchise in a room where he could give you that traditional wrestling booking when you throw in a guy like glenn gilberti who's creative to me, that's a very dangerous mix. So uh, very happy to give uh, Disco the platform to share those uh, thoughts with us. And uh, great job in landing the Disco Inferno, another guy who we've been trying to get on for a couple years. And now we uh, we can check him off the old TMPT list as we move forward into the next couple of weeks where we've got the big TMPT Con 3 coming your way on May 18th in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, we've just added another name to the mix in Baby Doll. So how can you have a convention with Jim Cornette without having Baby Doll in the mix? And head on over to our website, tmptofwrestling.com. Get the tickets from Brown Paper Tickets to join us, whether it's for the convention itself, for the Jim Cornette VIP experience, featuring the Jim Cornette experience, the whole entire Jim Cornette package where you get a special photo op, you get a special picture, and you get to hear Jim Cornette in a very, very intimate uh, environment and talking to you directly, basically, because it's going to be an amazing, amazing place to uh, experience this 35th anniversary of the Midnight Express. And the whole entire guest list is over on TMPT of Wrestling. Dot com And we really look forward to seeing everybody there in just a couple of weeks, May 18th in Richmond, Virginia at the Holiday Inn on Commerce Road. Uh, please make your plans to join us now. And if you're in Hazleton, Pennsylvania on April 27th, please check out the PPW Super Show 2 featuring 
Glenn Gilberti, the Disco Inferno, also Dwayne Gill, formerly known as Gilberg, Melina, former WWE Women's Champion, Teddy Long, also in attendance, and Simon Gotch, who will also be joining the Disco Inferno at that seminar that you mentioned earlier. So check out PPW, check out Glenn Gilberti, check out the two-man power trip coming to you in Richmond, Virginia, May 18th. So let's wrap it up real nice here, John. Let's hit you with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business, and let's get this show on the road to Glenn Gilbernetti, the Disco Inferno. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. And now, without any further ado, a former WCW World Tag Team Champion, a former WCW Cruiserweight Champion, a former two-time WCW World Television Champion. You may know him as the Disco Inferno, but he is the Gift, Glenn Gilberti. Enjoy. WCW World Tag Team Champion, a former WCW Cruiserweight Champion, and of course, a former two-time WCW World Television Champion. You may know him as the gift, 
Glenn Gilberti, but we know him as the Disco Inferno. Disco, welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. How are you guys doing, man? Doing very good. Finally able to get you on. I mean, we've recorded, God, over 400-something episodes and finally able to get you on, which is awesome. And, of course, we're talking today about PPW, the big Super Show 2 in Hazleton, PA, on 427, as well as a seminar that day as well. What are your thoughts about coming to the Northeast? Um, I haven't been there in a while. I'm looking forward to get back. Um, hell, I haven't wrestled like that. You know, Bethlehem, Hazleton, like that little, you know, Wilkes-Barre. Wilkes uh, I've been around there like maybe like 12, 13 years. Pretty crazy that uh, I'm more of a WCW guy, you know, more south and southeast and stuff like that. So the Northeast, not uh, not too much for you guys. Yeah, yeah, not, not, well, I've, I'm in Vegas, so yeah, I'm, I'm West Coast now. I, like, I, I, I go back to East Coast to go back home to Atlanta, but I don't, I don't go, I don't go Northeast hardly ever anymore. Pretty great to get you not only on the Super Show, but also to have that seminar earlier in the day, which is awesome. When you do seminars like that, obviously there's a big, especially with you, a big pro wrestling, sports entertainment. How much do you mix in? How much do you do that? What is your seminars kind of all about? About uh, discussing how to stick out from the crowd, um, becoming comfortable in your character, developing character, and making you look, you know, knowing how to throw a good punch. So, like, you, you look like you know how to fight. Which I always thought are, like, a pretty kind, kind of basic skill. And if all you had were those skills, that uh, you could fight a pretty good pleasure wrestling. And you definitely are able to develop a character. I mean, that's for sure. And longevity is something that I think that those, you know, those wrestlers that are there for that seminar should pay a, a lot of attention to. When you say develop a character and things like that, you know, are you trying to go from within and really kind of, like they always say, make yourself times 100 or, you know, that old cliche, or is it something a little bit different? Um, it just depends on playing something that you feel comfortable playing. Um, it might be something you've never tried. It might be something you like doing. It might be something you never really know until you try it, and then you feel like you can feel it right away, whether you're going to be comfortable in the character or not. If you, if you don't feel it, if you don't see it, if you don't envision it, it's not for you. But if you have a, if a character is given to you and you've got a pretty good vision, then you should probably know how to act in the character. So it just depends on how comfortable you are given, given the parameters to work with and uh, how well and how much creativity you have to pull it off. What's great about you, and, and obviously, you know, there's always this debate like, oh, it's too much sports entertainment or not enough wrestling. You know, people always go back and forth. But I feel like for the most part, fans are more interested in not only the match, but they're interested in the characters and them being larger than life and them being able to kind of follow them, not necessarily through the match, but almost, you know, through, you know, their, you know, manifestations of their character. They kind of want to follow them all the way through, right? I mean, it's not just about the matches. Well, of course not, because... You know, we're not the UFC. So we're not pro-boxing. We're, we're different. And you're providing a different form of entertainment, and you need to give them something. You need to give them the... The reason we call it sports entertainment is because we're out there basically be, performing athletic or athletic events. Uh, you know, how, how stimulated or, you know, how difficult it is. Like, I would just, you know, tell anybody to just try it yourself. See how hard it is. But we're... Uh, we're stimulating the event and also providing live action theater on top of it. 
So if it's done correctly, it's like it, it's a pretty good form of entertainment. Think about it as a quote. Oh, it's the best. When done right, it is definitely the best form of entertainment. And obviously, you know, there's so many fans out there that always they keep talking about the matches and the matches, and they want longer matches. And then it doesn't kind of correlate to what we're seeing as far as ratings on TV and stuff. So do you think that, you know, maybe that's what they're suited for, but they're in the super minority because the ratings keep going down. They're having, you know, hour-long matches or whatever they're doing on TV, Raw, SmackDown, the ratings keep going down and down. You think there's not enough character development, not enough larger-than-life characters? What, like, what do you think is the issue? Of course not. It's just like everybody, all, all everybody cares about is whether or not they're going to have a good match. And um, how how good it's going to be graded against uh, the matches competition, like you know, like how the two guys wrestle one match and two guys wrestle another match, like which match is better? And that's like that kind of takes away uh, the formula which wrestling was predicated on, which is you uh, have two guy two characters um, basically getting ready to fight fight each other, and the build up and how they're going to talk leading into the fight. That's what we saw growing up, guys cutting promos on guys, talking about how they had they beat them up and they got in the ring and they start they beat each other up. But now it's like um you see some of the guys on T V or you know, just the wrestlers in general today, uh, that if they're going to talk about a match they have coming up, like what are they what are they gonna say given that like what they're gonna do is, is like a bunch of acrobatics. You know, it's like how do how do you how do you have characters talk about the upcoming match to promote it? when they're not, like, really promoting a fight. They're promoting, like, how good is the exhibition going to be. So it's just a different mindset. But there are, there are a lot of still old-school fans out there that do not care about that. And when given the opportunity to go see stuff like that, they'll, they'll partake, you know. But I, I think that that concept that drives that uh, is kind of, you know, causing a lot of people not to get invested in product. The characters themselves are obviously kind of, not to say lame, but they're not really as good anymore, and you could tell they're reading off a script. Do you think that's a huge part of the problem, that they're definitely almost being robotic and, and kind of going through the motions instead of maybe a bullet point or maybe, you know, guys being original like a Piper, for instance, which is kind of go off the cuff? You know, is that kind of killing it, too? Well, nobody's comfortable. You can only tell there's only a couple of handful of guys that are comfortable out there in, in their characters. You know, even some of the top guys are not comfortable in their characters because they're cutting promos and you can clearly tell they're trying to remember to how to deliver the script in line to begin. So, uh, um, obviously, you, just, you, can, you can point a bunch of things to why it's not working there, but like that, that, to me, that's one of the glaring ones. It just looks like, you know, it comes across as, as scripted television and not organic at all. It definitely isn't organic, man. It's a perfect term. It's not organic. It just comes off forced, and a lot of them definitely trying to read off a, well, here's, a script. Here's the, way, here's, here's the way I explain it. It's like they deliver the, the, the they're delivering the verbiage, but if it wasn't live, you would you would have uh, if you were like directing that you would have been cut. Let's do it again, and then like you're trying to tell them mm-hmm. how, how to do it properly. But but the, the the one that's actually getting on TV is the one that you would cut. Because they don't look like they're, they were comfortable delivering a lot, you know. That that's, the whole show is like littered with with, uh, with what I call bad, bad acting, you know, like that. So uh, and then they get hurt. That that is so true. It does come off like terrible acting, and and only a handful of guys, maybe even less, 
that can actually kind of cut a promo, be effective, and make you want to watch the match or be interested. Now, yeah. your booking philosophy, your style, the ideas that you come up with, I feel like they're always kind of can be sometimes crazy, sometimes off the wall, but they make such perfect sense, and you kind of nail it on the head. How would you kind of describe your, your booking philosophy? Uh, characters stay true to their characters. And, like, you you always – when you here, here's a weird thing. It's like, and you can see the way WWE does sometimes, and this is old school books and philosophy. Um, that if you like, if you see a lot of bookers, um, this is how they, they use the book: is that they'll have an idea for a match, okay? And you stick, and it's like a golf course. You know, you'll plant the flag, go 520 yards away, and that's the match. And so, and you just write in between how to get there, okay? If you if you do the whole show like that, I think you uh you're kind of like losing create uh, like organic creativity if you come out of things because to me all I ever all I've ever thought was is I want to see the characters placed in situations where on a weekly basis and regardless of what what matches it leads to because if you run the stories like that the matches should they should lead to matches that mean something but you put characters in situations where like if it's you know if it's Undertaker. The question is, okay, what would Undertaker's character do given what, what just happened to him? And all you do is just, like, you have a good feel for the characters on the show and you answer those questions. That puts stress on another character. And then you ask, okay, what would this character do given what the Undertaker did to him? And just that's how you progress storylines because you know what the characters would do and how they would act. And it's like that's how, it, to me, that's easier television to produce because then when you're doing TV like that, when matches do happen, they mean something because you're invested in the progression that this character's taking. So that's that's always been my philosophy. It's it was so it's easy. Like when you think of it, and you, you say it like it's so easy to do, but they're not able to to do that. Is there kind of a reason why they're almost not building any stars? Is it an aptitude? Is it on purpose? I'll, I'll, like, say, I'll say exactly why. Because we we how old are you? I am 36. Okay, you're 36. Uh, I'm 51. But you still might have come from a little bit of a generation where, you know, the wrestling we grew up watching is, is decidedly different than the wrestling that the wrestlers today grew up watching. Right. Okay, wrestling, wrestlers today, we grew up watching all the best talkers in the history of the professional wrestling business. You know, you, we grew up watching Flair, Hogan, Macho, Piper, Sitfield. Well, I grew up watching them. So... People, you know, wrestlers like me, we were fans of that growing up. And all, all of us were. We were fans of the promos and stuff like that, our, our generation of wrestlers. Well, the wrestlers today, you can see by the way they were, they've always just been concerned with just matches. Because most of these guys just mainly wrestled on the independents for so long and did their, did their stuff there. They were like, you know, they didn't really have characters. They were just, you know, indie guys putting good matches on the indies. So now when it comes to you got to do weekly TV on the main stage and it's like you really haven't developed a character, it's like you don't feel confident when you're given the opportunities that you need to take when you're giving a chance to talk. And, and I think that collectively what we see is that you have a lot of professional wrestlers today that didn't really grow up in that culture. So like this is stuff that's stuff like kind of new to them when they get on the big stage, that they have to like have a character and have to, you know, to, to market themselves stuff. And they, they've never really done it before. You know, but like our, our generation grew up, that's all we did was mimic characters growing up. 
You know, and I think I think that's I think that's a disconnect you kind of see from like the fans and especially today is is they they don't give them characters to embrace. So true, and and just thinking of the, the Disco Inferno character, you stood out. You could cut promos. The fans, you know, knew to boo you. You you know, you knew exactly what you're doing as soon as you came out. I mean, it, it was perfect. Even the the theme song, the music, kind of was, was perfect. It's such a different era now. I feel like if somebody was given that gimmick, they would totally blow it and would totally come off as like corny or, or something horrible. They wouldn't know what to do with it. But you in that era, it was it was perfect. You knew exactly, you know, how to be a heel. Is it from being a fan and from watching, or is that training and kind of better psychology oh, no. and things like it, that? It's all it's all growing up. It's always what you grew up with. I grew up watching Dusty Rhodes, Flair, Donkey Kong, Man. You know, I, I grew up watching those guys. So those those were my favorite wrestlers, you know. So that's that's I I emulated, like I saw what they did, and like when you know, you just have you just mimic their their mannerisms and the psychology of what they do, and why they do things, and and you just try to you learn from watching their stuff, and it that just it becomes easier becoming a character, because all you have to do is just you know find spots where it's time to entertain people. You know, whatever you do, that's your artistic expression and stuff, but, like, that, that's all those guys would do. You know, they're very basic skills. They're, they're, they, they didn't do a whole hell of a lot of stuff, but, like, you just watch the way they knew how to manipulate the crowd. And it's like, I, that's how I learned how to, how to be a professional wrestler by watching them. So the Disco Inferno character itself, where does that come from? Where, like, where do you get the actual, you know, influence for the actual gimmick of being Disco? Uh, it was just a character that was easy to embrace because we used to go out in clubs all the time. So, you know, just, it was easy to embrace, plus I knew I could do it because I was a fan of the Honky Tonk Man's gimmick. So I knew I could emulate my character similar to the, the like the, um, the psychology, the way he worked, you know, like when to do things, when to, uh, when to entertain, when to wrestle, when, you know, so it was, it was easy, to, easy to pick up. When you think of Disco Inferno, it felt like you always were up to something, whether it was scripted, not scripted, you kind of did stuff on your own. Like even, for instance, like, you know, the diagram thing, you couldn't figure out the figure four, you know, you have a cheat sheet. Like you were always doing something to either stand out or, or you know, do, you know, something to get noticed. Was that always scripted or are you just kind of doing stuff on your own to make sure you're staying relevant and make sure that you're kind of having something go on on TV, unlike some of the guys you see today where they're just there, they're just on TV doing nothing? Well. I had a lot of, um, I had a lot of, uh, not a lot of input, but if I, I came up with an idea for them, they, they used it most of the time. I didn't go to them with a whole bunch of stuff, but every time I did go to them with some stuff, they, they were, they were, uh, they were, they were teeny. Like they never, they never really shot anything that I wanted to do down, the creative one. That was so funny, the, the diagram, you, know, you couldn't figure it out, you got the cheat sheet, I just remember that, even, you know, just watching Saturday Night all the time, I just remember, or, or Nitro, whatever, you just always remember, it's so funny, um, doing stuff like that and trying to figure, you know, figure out, like, oh, what, what is he up to next? It was just, I don't know, it was just different then, it was just like, even let's say you have a three-minute match, you remember that because of the stuff you did in those three minutes, I mean, you really utilized your time really well. Yeah, well, that's what you have to do sometimes, they don't give you anything creative, you still have that time out there in front of the fans, you know, when, when you're when you're performing. So it's kind of you get it, you get it. You know, the whole thing of the, the guys that 
crying sometimes about not getting over. It's like, you know, you when you're performing, you have a chance to get the fans. You know, if, if, you, if you don't know how to do it, it's kind of like your fault, you know? Absolutely. Now, as far as WCW and getting into WCW, how do you kind of stand out and get noticed? Because nowadays it feels like they're almost signing, like, I think 300 guys are under contract or whatever. I mean, so many guys are kind of being well, it's, it's, noticed. It's a, fact, it's a factory. Yeah. It's a factory. It's a factory yep. that basically, uh, you know, sits out wrestlers and they go on TV and they're hoping one or two of them get over and it's kind of like we cycle and somebody gets hurt. They go back down, they spit another one out of the factory and just, it's just I don't know. It's, it seems like they have enough people, enough guys there that they, have, they, they don't know what to do with. They're like, Adding a whole bunch more in training is like, you know, I don't know. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll strike gold. You know, they don't know. And they may find a diamond. It's all about finding the finding one or two diamonds in the rough. You know, like the thing that can hook people to watch the shows again. To, that'll compel the audience. That can, like, you know, it's a good promo, good-looking guy, or a good wrestler, and just, just checks all the boxes. Maybe one of those will come along, you know? Right. It definitely seems like that kind of... Uh attitude by them it's almost yeah. like they just sign anybody to sign everybody and they don't really have anything for them but they're there and you know in case they need them they're going to sign them and you know put them in nxt for a while or do whatever with them but they just have yeah. too many guys it's crazy yeah well too many guys from a generation of guys that all do the same stuff yep you know so you stick them all in the factory and just you know they all do the same stuff in the factory down there and you know kind of different it's different than the way it used to be you know you it was just, it was a lot tougher to, to get into wrestling a while back than it is now. And, and like anybody can get in at any time. It definitely seems that way. So how did you get into WCW? I know obviously you know you were in the Georgia independent scene, you were in USWA for a little bit, but how did you get into WCW? Did somebody recruit you to Bischoff see you kinda of, how did you kinda of float your way in WCW? I'd become friends with Paige. He got me a tryout and they hired on the spot my tryout. No, just like that. Yeah, just like that. I mean, like, you know, right? you had to know somebody, you know, to get, but I got, you know, I was doing a pretty good gimmick. I was doing the Disco Inferno, and it was like, it, there was an easy pitch to get a tryout back then, you know? Like, oh, that, that's an interesting character. Let's give this guy a tryout. You know, that, that's, that's, that's how easy it was. And that's a good character to get noticed. I mean, without a doubt, I need, standing I need out. Taylor, I need Terry Taylor, too. He'd see me work. A few times, so he was he was impressed with the game because he was also part of the business back then. It was like I forged a friendship with Paige, um, and became friends with Terry Taylor a little bit, and then I got a tryout. It was, you know, it was that's how it was. I, I got over my merit, you know, and I wasn't like I, I, I had a character that was getting over the Indies pretty. So yeah, absolutely, and kind of when you came in. That's when obviously WWE was hot. You got the '83 weeks. You got the Monday Night Wars. You got them basically beating up on the WWF, and you're kind of going along for the ride. At one point, though, you did exit WCW, and then it ended up coming back. But there was a period of time there where there was a huge rumor that you were actually going to be the Honky Tonk Man's protege. Is that actually any of that true? Is that something that WWF was interested in bringing into that? Because it does seem like, like you said, you kind of mimic Honky Tonk Man. It does seem like a perfect fit if that was in fact true. Yeah, Russo even said that that's what they were thinking of. 
but then it went through Bruce, and, and then uh, it just fell through. So, but yeah, that, that was definitely one of the things they were talking about. Or at least Russo was when he's right now. So. And then they ended up with Rocket Billy, and that obviously, you know, for, for yeah. Vince and the guys, didn't really work out that well. But you end up back in WCW. What was the whole reason that they were pissed that you wouldn't job to Jacqueline, or or what was the, the whole issue there that uh, Eric or whoever was kind of uh, upset with you for for a brief period of time? Well, they wanted me to do it, but but everybody all everybody, including people in the office, tell me tell them no, don't do that. I went told them, no, I'm not going to do that because they pay the fire. All right, that's what I do. But but the thing was. They had, they'd ran the, they'd ran the angle by me, and the Booker and the GM Eric were on different, completely different pages of what they were going to do with me. After, and my my deal was coming up in four months, and Eric gave one idea for an angle that involved me get you know, just continuing with, with what I was doing, and Kevin was like, "Well, no, I see you disappearing for six months," and like I'm not, I'm pretty good at math, but if my deal's up in four months. And they want you to disappear for six months. Well, what's that kind of telling? Right. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> so, so, you know, that, that just it also weighed into the decision. So, you know, it wasn't what it was. You end up coming back, you lose to Jacqueline, then you get the win back, and then eventually, you know, the whole man versus woman thing, which is kind of funny because that's what it, everyone's talking about today. All they want is the intergender wrestling. And then you end up wrestling Scarlett Bordeaux not that long ago on Impact. So it's kind of funny how 20 years later it's almost coming full circle. It's male ver- or man versus woman all over again, right? You, you versus kind of, Scarlett. It's, it's also kind of silly because, like, this fan base these days will to, to you know, professional wrestling is, is is more entertainment, you know, and more accepted as entertainment today by the fans than it, than it used to be. Mm-hmm. You know, we try to we try to portray the sports and things, but like, but this fan base will just accept anything. You know, because like, there's a, I don't know, it's just, it's just a different different fan. They're 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 there for the artistic impression. They're there for the performance. They'll they'll, they'll applaud respectfully if the guys do a good spot. They'll chant, "This is awesome." They do a really crazy spot, and it's like they just react differently. It's like art house, like you're you're in art house theater sometimes. You know, watching you know what plays, the way the way the fans are responding. But that's what you look at. They're like a couple like they look like critics out there. You know, so it's it's kind of like easy to just do anything in front of these crowds. You could do a man versus you know man versus woman. You could do a uh, you know midget versus man. <laughs> you stuff, <can, you> <laughs> but depending on what what the crowd knows what they're getting into. If they know what they're getting into, they applaud. If it's entertaining, you know. It is what it is, but like, here's the, the, the thing that, you know, of course, all the all the people online these days, you know, when the Twitter mobs start coming at you, oh my God, this, you know, like talk about this men versus this. There's so many different angles to this. You know, you got the women's revolution, but then you got people that don't think we should be stimulating violence against women and, and all this. But uh, but what they what people don't understand that aren't in the business, and they just, they just see all this on TV, they see a guy wrestling girl on a wrestling show. Well, there, there's there's intergender wrestling in training schools every day in professional wrestling. And the girls are training. Like, when you go to wrestling school, it's girls and guys you're training. And the guys and the girls are wrestling with each other and against each other all the time. It's just we never, as fans, you don't see that. You know, because you're, you're not in a training, you're not at the training school. 
you know, but like that that happens all the time. So, so it's kind of easier for guys to do it these days than ever before because they've been doing it for for, for years training the business. You wrestled Jack when 20 years ago. You wrestled Bordeaux. I guess you're okay with the intergender wrestling. I know obviously some of the guys at Impact were vehemently against it. I know a lot of the fans. Oh, you could, you, could, you could, as as an attraction, it's no big deal because the fans mm-hmm. know what they're getting into, and they're going to probably it's going to get a good pop if you do it correctly. But if like you want to like, if you start doing it like is on a regular basis, or like the girls are kind of openly competing against the guys, it's all the time, like it's nothing. The, the, the issue you're going to have with that is, is that the guys, to, to kind of still maintain a logical perspective to keep the fans invested in the storyline, the guys are going to have to kick the shit out of the girls a lot. Excuse the French. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, going yep. to, they're going to have to squash the girls a decent amount of time. Because if all the girls are just all competing against the guys, the fans are not going to buy that. But if you're showing, like, the rise of, like, one girl is trying to rise up through the ranks and be the one to stand up against the man, and the man has been, men have been just, you know, beating up the other girls, then that's something that, that's a swap deal. You do a story like that, you know what I'm saying? But just, if you just do it too much, then it's not an attraction anymore, you know? But if you treat it as an attraction and build up each match, then you can, you can do it. But if you want to do it on a weekly deal, you know what I'm saying? Like, the, the angle with me and Scarlett was a build-up. It was about a five-week storyline. Yes. That yep. the match. But if you want to do it on weekly television and every week the guys are just openly competing against the girls, yeah, it's not really a traction anymore. And I think that I think a, a show that looks like that would, would would hurt. You know, like it would it would hurt your audience. I don't think I don't think a lot of guys would be interested in watching something like I I don't think I don't think fans would be interested in watching a show like that. Yeah. I agree. Um um old school uh, to the bone. Not that I'm against women's wrestling. It's just that I'm kind of old school women, yeah. probably more, more likely better wrestling women and the guys should wrestle the guys because right. when the guy has to wrestle the guy again, let's say, you know, he's wrestling, I don't know, let's say he's wrestling Lesnar or, you know, some monster like that. Oh, you couldn't beat that hundred pound girl. Now you're fighting 300 pound Lesnar. Like yeah, the believability I, factor. It is true. But then again, it's like the thing you do have a humongous crossover audience right now. And I would probably say, you know, literally probably like 80% of professional wrestling fans are comic book fans, you know, and and you, you know, the Marvel and the DC universes, the female superheroes and the male superheroes are openly in combat with each other, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like, so that, so this fan base can get invested if the story's right, you know, because like, because they, they, they see this, they see this stuff in all the, all the, all the movies and all the comics all the time, you know, so it's like, so this is not a, uh, like a, a a leap of logic for a lot of these fans, you know, because they're, they're invested in the in the comic book so much, is that it's it's an easy story to adapt. That is true, and, and I feel like I don't know, to me, an old school fan, I always feel like uh, like I I you know have uh, reservations about it. Let's just say, not that I'm completely well, against. Well, here, I but just here's have the thing. Well, you're 36. You knew what it was like. It was kind of different when China was doing it. Right. You know, China looked like, oh, wow, she looks like she can kick the guy's asses. Oh, yeah. You know, yep. <laughs> it's like, you know, but now it's like, it's kind of different. We're not having the guys wrestling China. We're having the guys wrestling the smaller girls. Mm-hmm. You yep. know, so it's like, the, but, but, you know, I've always said like that, and, and this is kind of like a weird way to look at it, but um, it's kind of been a thing in the business. Like, if you just, if you just base it on that, then 
you're kind of like in the same mindset, like, well, what you're saying is like the bigger characters should like always be the smaller characters, you know? But so if you look at the premise, like all the, all the women on the show and all the men show, like if they're characters, the leap of logic is not that hard. You know, it's like we could, the characters can fight each other because like sometimes smaller characters are larger than life, more larger than life than the, fight, the people they fight against because their promos are better or whatever, you know? But, uh, but if you're just doing it as a premise, where there aren't characters on the show, and it's just the guy wrestlers and the girl wrestlers, it's a di- it's, it's a different vibe, you know, than, than it is. So it's like that. That's why I've always said char- character is the most important thing. Hey, let's pause for one second to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by our brand new sponsor, Eat Your Coffee. Eat Your Coffee is a coffee company that was founded by coffee-deprived college students that pioneered a new category in caffeinated natural snacks. The company's first product line, Eat Your Coffee Bars, are a date-based snack bar caffeinated with fair trade coffee, which would be comparable to one cup, and made with real ingredients so you can feel good with every energizing bite. Eat Your Coffee snack bars are non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, kosher, 70% organic, and available in three delicious flavors, including fudgy mocha latte, salted caramel macchiato, and peanut butter mocha, my personal favorite. Now that is an energizing combination because they are on a mission to help get people energized with naturally caffeinated snacks made with real, ethically sourced ingredients. So if you want more information, head on over to www.eatyour.coffee, as well as follow them on Instagram, follow them on Facebook, follow them on Pinterest, and follow them on Twitter, and get all the information on how you can energize the moment with eat your coffee bars definitely totally agree and i feel like a character was lifted from you stolen from you and used on the indie scene right now and everyone's kind of loving it that invisible man character that you created <laughs> years ago have, have you seen this they they kind of had a match or, or whatever a game changer wrestling they yeah, kind of yeah, stole Joey, Joey, Joey yes. Yes. yes that was <laughs> my, that wasn't my that wasn't my Original, like everybody's been doing the Invisible Man characters for all over the place. You just never really saw it. If you go back on YouTube, it like, you know, I wasn't the first guy that came up with stuff like that. But I never thought that you should actually wrestle the Invisible, like there's an actual Invisible Man exists on the show. My whole thing was like you would have two heel characters trying to convince a, like a, you know, a babyface character that wasn't the smartest knife in the drawer, trying to convince him that there was an Invisible Man. <laughs> it would be the way to tell the story. You know, you can do stuff. You can easily do stuff like that, where you know, like doors are closing behind you, like you know, like in front of you. You know, you can easily do that. You know, but the payoff would be the heels would beat up the baby. That is a a very funny idea, and obviously, you know, they took it to another level. And if you, I think it's God, I can't remember the year, but years ago, Ronnie Garvin did something he wanted to try to kill the uh, the Knoxville territory, I guess, and mm-hmm. he wrestled the Invisible Man, and and you know, the crowd kind of uh, get a little restless with them. But I, I just remember that was an old, old school gimmick. But I remember you specifically saying the Invisible Man. I always thought that was funny. And like a kind of a creative, uh, funny idea. Yeah. <laughs> my, fav- my favorite one from you possibly could be Bill Ding, the evil architect. I don't know why. That's I always... not, but that's Terry Taylor's idea. That's, that's really? That's oh, so that's, a, okay. that's been fake news for a long time. Okay. I've, I've reiterated like a bunch of times. Of, I don't know what he you know, it up, but, but that was Bill Dingy's Terry Taylor idea, and he would gladly admit to that. By the way, <laughs> so, what, what, what is the what is the what evil was, architect like? What, what was his thought process there? Oh, just, just he just had the promos. You know, I've got the plans for success. 
that, that's the foundation for victory. You know, he had, all, <laughs> he had the promos for the guy. You know, we just didn't have a guy to do the character, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least it's, you know, funny, uh, creative kind of thing. And obviously, you know, you spend time booking in, in TNA and, and WCW. So, I mean, you do obviously have a wealth of wrestling knowledge. Do you have you booked anywhere else, obviously, besides that? Are you currently helping out maybe Impact or anything like that? I'll be there in Philly on uh, May 3rd and 4th, the next TV show. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got a job. I work for it. So it's like I just I picked up wrestling. I stay in shape. I mean, I'm in some of the better shape I've been in many, many, many years. Um, so I stay in shape, and I still, you know, I, I still do it if the price is right. You know, I, I, I'll leave. I'll leave. I'll skip a day of work if it's worth it. You know, for me to go go travel and do it. So, but I'm, I'm I got a pretty good job. So like it's. The dates are kind of fewer and far between, but I still have, I do like it probably at least once a month. Now that job entails, uh, you know, a lot of um, fun time in Las Vegas, right? Uh, the uh, strip club in Las Vegas? Yeah, we can set our gentleman's club. It's the world's largest gentleman's club. That is great. Great place. Uh, obviously, we're out there in Vegas, and I think that a lot of wrestling fans will be in Vegas for StarCast. I'm hoping that they'd rather go to the strip club, maybe. I don't know what these fans say. Rather if we go to the strip club or would they rather, you know, do um, whatever's going on, you know, as far as uh, AEW and Las Vegas and StarCast? Uh, wait, repeat that again? No, I'm saying I hope that they they go to the strip club and, and not spend so oh, much sure. time yeah, with yeah, AEW. Yeah. Oh, well, and, that's a, <laughs> I hope so. You know, you think, <laughs> I don't know. Like, wrestling fans are kind of weird these days. Like, wrestling fans used to love the strip club. Now they don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Yeah, it is so weird, especially when you know when I was growing up before I got married. I mean, that was like kind of like a place you always went with the boys, and you went to the strip club, and then you always hear the you know flares at the strip club, or you, you're right. you know the WB's in town. Oh my God, Nash was at the strip club. I mean, you know, like just like you just not to get those guys in trouble or say anything bad, but you know they're just hanging out, enjoying the right. the time at the strip club. Exactly. Exactly. And now uh, I don't know, you know, about these fans uh, today. I mean, they. They're probably going to go to something at Starcast, I'm guessing, or something yeah. AEW related, rather than. Uh, I, I hope I hope they come to our club, so more than one. Yes, I hope so too. Now, uh, as we start to wind it down and and head towards the finish, I just want to mention just a couple things that I loved from you in, in WCW, cruiserweight champion going after the cruiserweight title. Obviously, you're a little bit bigger than cruiserweight, so they kind of did the thing of you losing weight and, and trying to trying to make weight for cruiserweight. I always thought that was funny. And is that your idea? They coming up with the kind of stuff like that? Cause I always enjoyed that. And I always thought like, wow, that's a nice creative way of kind of, you know, making this more relevant where it's like, this guy might be bigger than these guys, but how is he kind of, you know, getting in shape or how is he going to lose weight? So to speak. Oh, that was, that was their idea. That was their idea. Because we hadn't, you know, there was like a thing where we're trying to do stuff that hadn't been done because like, you know, the cruiserweight, uh, division hadn't been around for a while. Like, you would kind of have to, at some point, because it's a division of, like, lower weight wrestlers, you'd have to tell a story at some point, like, hey, guys trying to make weight. You know? <laughs> that makes sense. You know, in, in fighting, like, you know, you have to assume every single person is under, underweight. Like, you know, every now and then, the guy looks like he may be above the weight. You know, you have, well, we, kind of, we kind of should we should weigh him because it's, like, that's compelling television. You know? Makes sense and uh, perfect sense, and especially a guy that's a little bit bigger, or maybe you know, maybe like, oh, should he really be in the division? It kind of makes sense. This guy's got to cut weight, like you see in in real MMA fights. Well, just micro booking back then. 
mm-hmm. you know, because like there's, I mean, we, there's a lot of TVs. So it's like you're just trying to like, so that's one thing Bischoff hated was matches that didn't have any stakes or anything. I just he hated cold matches. You know, so even if it had like this was the angle, this is not a cold match. You know, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's you know, it's all, all just it all came bloomed from that. You know, you were invested as a fan just because you're like, man, this is funny. Like this guy, you know, he's got to lose weight, or or you know, this guy's got the like I said before with the cheat sheet. This guy's got the cheat sheet. He's got to figure out how to do the maneuver. Something right. to hook the guy, you know, the fan where they're interested. Like today's wrestling, they just throw the guys out there. You're like, oh, another. Match with right. these guys. Oh wow! Right. Okay, nice. It means nothing. Then the match is over, and it didn't really lead anything else. And it's just you know, I I just think that that's to me that's not stimulating to you know mentally the fans. And like you can see within like like not a lot of people watch that show anymore. There's just too many there's too many matches and too many things that don't mean nothing. You know. Yep. And that's and that's creatively that's like one of the worst things you can do. Uh, to a wrestler is destroy their creativity just constantly giving them stuff, giving them matches on television, and you're not doing anything. You're just making you go work, and you're not really giving me any chance to, you know, you're not doing anything to, to promote me, you know, or like putting an angle or anything or a storyline. And it's just, you know, that, and you can kind of see, like, what's coming out of that culture there in the WWE is like, oh, these guys are actually releasing and stuff and everything. That's what happens. You know, because we're creative. We're kind of artsy that way, and that you want to do more and just go have a match. Yeah, hundred percent, definitely, we definitely want to do more. And even in WCW, and people say, "Oh, WCW is booking." I, I think WCW at its best was was the best. Just the way everything was executed, even the small things that people wouldn't even notice, like you in the NWO with Scott Hall, it's just so entertaining, and it's an awesome kind of throw in there. It's like you're in the NWO, but is this guy in the NWO? And then you help Hall, and you come out and cheat. These little like subtle things I always find so entertaining, so fascinating. It's like, is he in the NWO? Is he not? Like he's helping Hall, he's cheating. Like I, I always enjoyed that kind of aspect. Did you like when you were in the NWO for a little bit with Hall and the Wolfpack? Oh, and yeah, that yeah, that was fun stuff. Also, the, the, the houses were still hot back then. Something, uh, you know, and that that was one of the things. Like Hall just kind of like included me in like a, a lot of stuff. You know, he just he just like he just like working because he knew like you know just just creatively speaking, if you have somebody else out there with you, and both of you are kind of on the same page, you can just do more things than other people than, than other wrestlers can because it's not just one. You're not just out there with you know it's a one-on-one match. In one-on-one, you have somebody with you. Well, there's a million spots in something. There's a million things we could keep up. You know, if you go out there and do it. It's just more, it's, it's more entertaining. And as far as the end of WCW, when WCWN and WB purchases them, and obviously Vince McMahon comes out, does a whole spiel in the ring with Shane. Were you ever considering going to WWF? Was there interest there? Was there interest on the other end? How did that kind of shake out where you never ended up going? Not at the time. It came from phone calls. And then I started, uh, as I was getting my, um, I was going to take, I had money owed to me. And, like, they were trying to get mm. people to get other contracts, but I had a pretty good chunk of change owed, owed to me. So when I had, like, maybe, like, just, like, one of my cycles had just started. I was going to get paid for a quarter of the year, and it was, just, it was a good chunk of change. And I was like, I didn't want to pass it up, you know? So I, uh, I took that and exchanged some phone calls with them. Uh, after it, uh, after my deal got up in WCW, 
and then I started working for the World and All Stars over in Australia because like, that was that was that was a really good deal. And just so I just started doing all that. They were going overseas and stuff. That's because I was burnt out and wrestling full time too. So. That was seven years straight there. You know, every with the exception of like two and a half, three months I think I was out with my back was hurt, but uh, I, I didn't really have hardly any time off at all. Seven years. Think about that. What a run in WCW you had. Not too many guys can say that they had the run you had there. And another thing, and and TNA, obviously, a little bit later on that I really enjoyed was when you were Glenn the Gift Gilberti, the leader of sex, sports entertainment, extreme, obviously Russo's writing. But the way they built you up for that NWA title match, I really thought you were going to win the title. I mean, it was so well done. And just everything about it was great because – Sports Entertainment Extreme was like, was totally, you know, hated really by those fans who loved that old school wrestling. You know what I mean? It was totally the opposite of what they were expecting. Was that, you know, a, a fun time as far as, as TNA and, and that initial run there? Oh, yeah, those are great shows, too. Like, nobody saw them because they were on the weekly pay-per-views. Those were, uh, I'd put those show, shows up that, that year in 2003. That was great television because you just see like they were doing the TV every week and the building would get more fans. They'd be more rabid. They'd be it's just you just watch. You could just tell you were doing good stuff because the fans in the building would tell you if you were doing good or if you were doing bad. You know, so when we like if we had a couple bad weeks, you'd see the stands. You know, wouldn't be sold out. You know, and then we just start kicking it back in again, and you see the fans get you know, it'll be arena again. It gets louder, and so, you know, just that's how you can tell. It was just good stuff with this Luda student outside the a lot of outside the box. Kind of like outside the box combined with traditional wrestling. Stayed in the in the realm of traditional wrestling was like so what would everybody's a character, so what would your character do given what would would what happened to you? You know? So uh so we just some of the angles went outside the box. You know, outside the where we where the universe had been previously created professional professional wrestling. So it was fun. I love that point, Tina. I mean, I used to watch all the uh, all the pay-per-views when they come out. I just love that sports entertainment thing because you were so invested. You're like, man, these you know guys are co- going almost over the top with this sports entertainment stuff, and you know th- yeah. these certain fans love wrestling. So it seemed you know a real for a bit, and then with the Russo element and coming out of weird spots, not really coming out of the real locker yeah. room, it felt real in in a sense. Yeah. Well, plus too, this would do stuff real. He would just he would he would go unannounced and just hit the ring. To see who could improv out there, you know, and then and that that would get out. You know, it was true. That's what he was doing. He was like literally. He just he would just go hit the ring whenever at some point in the show, start kind of promo, or just you know, the run away. And uh, you know, the thing was if that stuff get out of the dirt sheet, you know, there's like they're pretty like okay that that he, they're doing that unscripted. They're doing you know it's unscripted. If they're telling the story like it's real, so then you're thinking like, hey, what are they doing over there? Just a way to kind of like just you do a little thing like that. And it just raises eyebrows like, hey, hey, what are they doing? And you got to tune in and see what they're doing. You know, that's, that's how it works. That's my, it's kind of marketing 101. You got to, like, get the fans to dibble on the bait sometimes. Definitely. And I loved you and Mike Sanders, too, when he was there kind of playing off each other. And obviously two great talkers, two guys that were a part of sex. I mean, I, right, you guys playing off each other was so funny and probably improv as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. He, he was great to work with. He's very intelligent, great promo, um, very, uh, very solid. I, I, yeah, I like working with him a lot. 
I got to go back and watch some of those because you guys were coming up with like names for yourself. Like, you know, you're the creator or creative director, blah, blah. And he's this. And then you're making names for all these other guys. Just so funny. And, and so good the way you guys would throw stuff off of each other. Yeah. We're just going to kind of like, you know, backstage. It's kind of like, what well, we're going to try and treat it with kind of like a little bit of like a shoot back here, sort of. So like the guys, we're, we're kind of like, in, and we're not out in front of the cameras, so we're kind of backstage and acting like we're not characters, but we're still kind of characters because we're backstage. We're, you know, it was just a, it was a weird way to attempt to try to marry the two the two worlds. But the guys were, were good at doing it. What we had in the crew, so it was good stuff, good TV. So good. I implore anybody if you have to go order the Global Wrestling Network, whatever it's called, I would go and go back and watch some of the old original TNAs with the old school guys versus Sports Entertainment Extreme. Great stuff. Now, Disco, do you have some favorite matches? Like kind of looking back in your career, I know we're talking about some of my favorite moments, but do you have some you know favorite moments or favorite matches that maybe I didn't even mention or didn't bring up that you'd like to throw out? I used to have good matches against Benoit and Eddie. I like those a lot. Um, I mean, that's, you know, that, that's my favorite. So, uh, but it's funny too because it's on the WWE Network. They don't they don't say Benoit's name. So if you search right. search the match like me against Benoit, it says uh, Disco in a United States title match. <laughs> it's me against Benoit when he had the U.S. title. So I never mentions my name. How weird! Crazy that they they still. I mean, not to like put light on it, but I mean you can mention the guy's name. It's not going to do any harm. It's kind of weird that they go that far with it. Think, right? It's crazy. And, and as far as you, we, we mentioned before, seven-year run in WCW, not many guys really can say that they did that, and such a prolonged career that you've had in wrestling and still staying in great shape. What do you think is the biggest misconception out there about this guy? Uh, the people that try to marry my character to my real persona. You know, that, that's the biggest thinking that my character on TV is like, that that's that's how I am in real life. So, you know, that's the biggest. Obviously, that's the biggest misconception that people have of most most professionals is that they can't they can't discern between the two sometimes. You know, but like until you finally meet the person, then then, then you're able to. It is very very true, and and to keep up with you, obviously, keeping it one hundred as far as the podcast world, then LTBND on the brand. Definitely somebody you want to stay with and follow. You're one of the best follows on Twitter. So, you know, please uh, give out some plugs, your your social media. Where can the, the, the good folks find it? Because you're a great, great follow on Twitter. Um, at The Real Disco on Twitter, at Disco Master GG on Instagram and Snapchat. Um, you can catch me on uh, Even 100 Conan. I dropped on Westwood one late Wednesday night early Thursday morning. You can also catch me on uh, on the Russo brand on uh, Lions, Tigers, Bears, and Disco. It's on um, Drop Spidey's on the Rebel Network on the Russo brand. Uh, you can also catch me uh Future Stars of Wrestling Vegas and on um, PPW coming up in Hazleton. And if you're in Vegas and you want to go to the World's Largest Gentleman's Club, dial 702-303-3430, uh, Sapphire Gentleman's Club, and ask, ask, mention my name. And we'll send you a free limo to pick you up and get you and get your free drink. Uh, savings about 90 bucks. Awesome stuff. And, of course, 
427 Super Show 2, PPW, Hazleton, PA. There is a seminar that day as well that I highly suggest you check out. That is PPW Entertainment. Please go to ppwwrestling.com for more information. Disco, just one last thing for me. I, I just very curious. What do you think is, is the legacy when, when you know, your career is all said and done? What do you think is going to be your, you know, the lasting legacy of the Disco Inferno on the professional wrestling business? Oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I I just hope to say uh, the guy that um, knew what he was doing out there and performed for the fans for the best he could. Jessica, thank you so much. It's been awesome, and it's been a pleasure to get you on. We've done so many interviews, and you're one of the guys that's from the beginning that we've been dying to get on, and we've been doing this for four and a half years, so it's finally been awesome to finally get you on the show. Great stuff, and I do implore everyone, please follow him on Twitter. Um, love love your views, love your takes, love your psychology, and I love the way you think about the business. So, Disco, thank you so much, and I hope everyone sees you in Hazleton on the 27th. All right, thanks, man. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.